0: there should naturally be this thing that just happens organically. And yes, you can put some systems in place and try to help it happen, but organically it should just happen in the church that there is something that is is just the richest soil in the world for mentoring and discipleship to happen spiritually. This is why. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter number 10. I want to just show you a glimpse of this. I could take, take you so many places, but I want to show you a glimpse of this. Hebrews 10 is going to lay out several different concepts we've already talked about. It's going to talk about loving family members and generous do-gooders and several different concepts. But it's going to make it very plain that this happens inside the context of a local church, at least it's supposed, how it's supposed to happen most naturally. Hebrews 10, look at verse number 23. If you're looking for Hebrews 10, it's about 20 pages toward the back of your Bible from 2 Timothy 2. It's not too many pages over. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. <clears throat> this is saying, Christians, be faithful, right? Talk about faithful mentors. All right, that's real, that's real easy. Be faithful. Verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good work. So there should be spiritual formation happening in them. What love loving family members, good works talked about that last week, generous do gooders. But what does that say? How, how does this happen? We consider one another and we provoke one another. This is talking about the complexity of relationships inside of the church that we actually are shaping each other and mentoring each other. This is a life to life thing, is what this is saying. Th- this is saying. That spiritually I should be able to go further and I should even be able to go faster because of you and you should be able to go further and faster because of me then we're provoking each other to the love Then we're provoking each other to the good works where where, where how can you give me some more ideas of how that might happen well verse 25 not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What that says plainly is that this happens as the church assembles, or at least it's supposed to. This this is happening to a degree right now that there is some discipleship and mentorship happening from the pulpit, from me, and from my own personal study to you, for sure, but it is supposed to go beyond that where in the church, in the assembly, there is naturally conversations and love And sharing, and hey, let's go get some lunch together and talk further about that. I have some questions for you. And like that's supposed to just go. But that that is birthed out of the assembly. Now that does raise, I think, a very logical question in this in this current state of ministry that is, you know, the pandemic world. Well, if if this is supposed to happen through the assembly, Pastor, and you know, there was a period of time we've spent a few weeks where we didn't assemble at all when the pandemic started. And then it was, you know, 30% of our church was here and 70 was online. And then it was 50 50. And I think last week was something like 65% of our church was here and 35% was online. What is that problematic? Is is that is that you know disaster zone for the church that this can't happen and the mentorship is then cut off at the knees because the assembly has not happened. I want to say that I, I praise God for the hardiness and the durability of Christian discipleship, that it can happen in the hull of a ship in the middle of the Pacific with Dawson Troutman and the Navigators. And I praise God that it can happen over phone calls and over Zoom meetings in the middle of a pandemic. I I am very thankful for that. But, and to be clear, that is not to be normative. That's, That's not supposed to be natural. I try to keep a pulse on what's happening in Christendom as a whole, especially in American Christianity, evangelicalism, that sort of stuff. And I've seen more than a few pastors suggest that, you know what, let's just, let's just jump ship on the whole in-person, on-campus model, burn those bridges and, and digital church all the way 100% moving forward. And I would say that's a terrible idea because the mentoring and the discipling that's supposed to happen in the context of a local church will be cut off at the knees. Even those today, okay, those of you today that are watching me right now on camera, it was icy and you were spinning your wheels and you couldn't get here, the pandemic and you have health concerns, okay, those are legitimate. I'm not guilt tripping you at all. But you have to know, even you guys have to know, that let's say I'm going to stay away from church for nine months because of health concerns. I respect that. I'm okay with that. If you're away for health reasons, I'm okay. If you're away from habit reasons, terrible idea. But even if you're away for health reasons, you have to know, physically, less risk, spiritually, more risk. That's the way God set it up to work. There's there's no way around that, that cold, hard fact. There's no way around it. The assembly, actually, is supposed to be the church coming together, the lives come together, and through those lives coming together, we, as this text would say, we exhort each other, we provoke each other, we consider each other. There's faithfulness there, there's faithful mentorship. That's supposed to be... All churches, including ours. And, and this that's uh, not to condemn our church. I think that we do a solid job of this. We can grow, for sure. But I think we do a solid job of this. To want to mentor, to want to take in and be a student, yes, but to pour out. Let me make this very practical. In all of these sermons, I've tried to give you at least a few suggestions to get your mind turning on how you might work this out practically. It's not to suggest that you have to take exactly these. You could make up your own for sure, look at the Bible for some others. But here are maybe a few ways you could work this out practically. You can enlist a prayer partner. I've done this on a variety of occasions in my own life as a mentee needing some mentorship, but also as a mentor wanting to mentor somebody else. Uh, just to say, hey, if, if I am... A mentee, I need some help. Maybe there's someone in my group, maybe there's someone that I sit by regularly and I think they have some spiritual maturity. You know what, I'd love to grow and learn a little more. I think you could help me. Would, would you mind if we just touch base on the phone once a week or get coffee once a week or, and we just talk a little bit and pray a little bit? That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. If it was a mentor, maybe you're approaching someone else and you're saying, "Hey, I think that I could help. You have real potential, and I'd love to to draw some of that out of it. Would you be interested in this?" That that's an okay thing. You could ask others to lunch and pick their brain. I think one of the dangers of faithful mentorship is that you say, "Okay, uh, I'd love to be a mentor. So, oh man, I mean, I got to be the Apostle Paul for sure, right? Like, I mean, I got to wear like a super Christian cape, and I don't know that I'm." So first of all, no. If you have a reasonable handle on the scriptures and you have a relatively healthy Christian life, then you probably have enough to to pass on to someone who hasn't, you know, grown as much as you have, okay? You don't got to be perfect. None of us are. None of us are. But there's also this trap of wanting mentorship and saying, well, I got to find, you know, in my life, I got to find the perfect guy. I gotta find someone who just loves his wife like nobody's ever loved his wife and is the best dad in the history of the world. And man, does he know how to handle money. And he's the hardest worker that I know. And, 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 and and that, no. If you find that person, great, let me know. But it's okay if you feel like, you know what, I got an anger issue. And that guy really seems to have a handle on his anger. I saw his kid walk up to him in the lobby and kick him in the shins, and he reached down and hugged him, and he didn't even get ticked at him. He didn't even, like, want to hit him. I mean, it was just, there was no anger at all. Okay, maybe you can go to lunch and pick his brain about that specifically, Right? I do this all the time. Honestly, many of you have mentored me in specific ways in my own Christian life or in my own maturation or my own understanding. Like Many of you have helped me, and I've been able to pick some of your brains. That's a beautiful thing. Jump into a group. I won't belabor groups because we talked about it a lot recently, but a lot of this happens in groups where there there is Bible study, yes. There is life, yes, where you have a loving family unit, but there there also is designed to be some mentorship that happens there. Pick a book and, and read it together, discuss it. It's a great way. My wife and I do this quite a bit. We've been talking a lot about the books we've been reading recently. We went to dinner on Friday. You know what most of our dinner conversation consisted of on Friday? Like the bulk of our conversation was about the books that we're reading and what we're learning from them and then the book of Jude. Maggie's doing the Bible study for ladies. I come up here in a couple weeks uh, on Monday nights going through the book of Jude. So we talked a ton about the book of Jude. You say, man, that's that's so romantic. I know, I know, okay? It 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 lights our fire, right? It gets us to no. tell. It's it's healthy for us. It, it's healthy for a man to shepherd his wife in that way. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. If if you if these suggestions seem unfitting, if they seem like, yeah, you know what, I don't know if I can do this, then then there's an email on there, okay? Dave's over here. And uh, and and Dave actually pairs up mentors and mentees and, and disciplers and disciples a lot here at the church, and we'll We'll connect the dots for you if, if you need us to. Just email us and say, I, I, I need help in this, and, and we'll do our best to make that go. We'd love to. We'd love to. Here, here's the point, though the point is that this should be happening in some way, shape, or form, right? If you're, if you're not where, oh, I don't think I can, I can really be helping many people, okay, then you should be getting help. If, if, if you are where you can be helping other people, then you should. That, 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 should, just, that should happen. That, that's a very biblical idea. I've had here in the last couple weeks, uh, a couple different times, just things that thrilled my heart. They didn't know I was going to talk about the sermon or what the topic was, but uh, just this week, I had a lady in our church uh, tell me, she, she went out of her way to say, look, I need help, um, I've, I've had some spiritual mentors in my life that have been great, but some things have changed schedule and da-da-da-da-da, and I've, literally, her words were like, I need someone who, who can be a mentor to me, could you help connect the dots? Had no idea that this sermon was coming today, but it was a beautiful conversation. I had, just a couple weeks ago, I was talking with someone in our church, uh, new to the faith in the past two years or so, and in uh, that church, and I was encouraging them to get in a group. And they, And the young man looked at me and he said, you know you know what, I think more than I need a group, I think I need like one-on-one. I think I need like a guy who's who's who just knows more has been more that that could you know help me he didn't say mentor he didn't say disciple but I knew what he was saying and then he said this he said actually there's someone that I like to talk to already an older guy in church and I I think they would be a good one I said you should go ask him he said I will and he did and and they're together working on it together those are beautiful things and really what you need for this it it just requires two heartbeats it requires a heartbeat number one of humility to say okay I want to learn I want to grow, I want, I want, I don't think I know everything, I don't think I've arrived, I'm going to have a heartbeat of humility and I want to take in, it requires that, but then it also requires a heart to say, you know what, I want to share and I want to give and I want to help and I want to build up and I want to see other people grow as well. If you can have those two heartbeats mingle together, you'll be amazed. Opportunities will present, present themselves left and right, left and right. So Paul says very plainly, look, you got to be strong, I'm expecting this of you, I'm going to call you to mentor, and disciple other people, but then, and I have to end this way, I think it's a fitting ending, not just for this sermon, but for our entire series, is you have to understand the quarry of grace. Guys, put that slide back up there that showed the seven, uh, the seven things we've worked through, okay? These are the seven sermons. I'm not going to read them all to you again. If you're anything like me, you can come on a Sunday, hear one, you know, here's what God wants for his people, for his church, okay. I think I can be to work that one out. Then the next week, okay, I can work that one out too. And by the time you get five, six, seven, it can start to feel overwhelming. It can start to feel like, so I love God passionately and I want to pray and I want to worship him and I want to love other people and I want to invest in them and I want to mentor them, but I got to be a good student, but a right heartbeat of being a suffering sojourner, but then I need to be a generous do-gooder, I need to give out, all this stuff, and it can feel like a lot. How am I going to do all of that? I mean, am I supposed to just pick one and say, hey, I'll do that one real good, and the other six I'll cross off the list, and I'll just never get around to those, right? Am I supposed to take one a year? How am I supposed to do that? And if you don't understand the quarry of grace, which is right here in this text in 2 Timothy, then then you'll you'll completely miss the whole thing. You'll never get it. Paul says in 2 Timothy, verse number 1, chapter 2, verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong, but then he says this, and you can't miss these words, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I'll put it this way, I want you to mine your strength from the quarry of grace that's made available through Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Yes, I want you to be strong, I want you to be faithful, I want you to do these things, I want you to endure hardness, I want you to mentor people, I want you to be about this. But Timothy, you have to understand that your steadfastness and your strength and your faithfulness is not going to come in and of yourself. You're going to have to mine that strength from the quarry of grace. You're going to have to go back to God over and over and over again and say, God, I don't stand a chance on my own, I can't do this on my own, would you help me? That's what grace is. Giving you what you don't deserve. Lord, I don't deserve any of this, but would you help me? I want to be what you want from me. I I want to be a spirit-filled missionary and witness to people. I want to mentor other people. I want to share my possessions with other people and be generous. Lord, I want these things, but I can't do it on my own. I need you. I need your grace. If you don't get that, then you've cut yourself off at the knees. If you don't get that, then you're going to be like Peter, the man who with tremendous hubris, Told Jesus, I'm by you, I'm steady, I'll die for you. You can bank on me, Jesus. A couple hours go by, and there's Peter. Deny, 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 deny. Where did all that confidence, where did all that vibrato take Peter? Nowhere. Nowhere. If that's you and you think that, okay. Well, then I will, ju- I will work harder. I will willpower myself through it. Uh, you know, I've, I can do this. I got this. Then you've missed, you've missed it all. Jesus is looking for the people who are willing to go time and time again through the low door of humility and say, Jesus, I got nothing without you. I don't stand a chance. Left to my own devices. I'm messed up. I, I can't figure this out on my own. I'm toast. I need your grace. I need your grace. That has, that has to be it. I want to end this whole series by telling you a little bit about Annie Johnston Flint. Uh, some of you may know her. I don't think I've ever used her in an illustration before. If I have, forgive me. I don't remember it. Uh, Annie Johnston was her born name. She was uh, an orphan, adopted by the Flints, and became known as Annie Johnston Flint. Lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Terrific hymn writer. Wrote, wrote many, many, many hymns. Annie, not only being born an orphan, also very early on in life, started to struggle with rheumatoid arthritis. And this is back when there's very little treatment for rheumatoid arthritis. And she suffered in tremendous pain. Her body twisted itself and mangled itself to the point to where she could, very early on in life, couldn't walk. I mean, had to be in in the wheelchair like you see there and and just in tremendous suffering, honestly. Later, she had cancer, then her eyesight began to go to the point where she was almost blind. She, for much of her adult life, was, was so messed up physically that she was incontinent, spent much of her adult life in diapers. But she, she loved Jesus. She wrote a lot of hymns. And at the end of her life, Annie Johnson Flip penned these words about how she was able to get through. And here's what she said. She said, He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he added his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed and the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limits, his grace has no measure, his power no boundary known unto men for out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth again. I hope that as we've looked over the last almost two months now at what is most frequent and most emphatic in Scripture that God wants for you, God wants for me, God wants for our church, that we would be able to say, we want that too. We want that to be us. Some of these areas we're doing well, honestly, and we'd have a, an A or a B, if I had to give us a grade. Some of them were okay get a C. Some of them we're not great at. I hope that we want to grow. I hope that we want to improve there. But I also hope that we understand that it's going to need to be out of his riches. It's going to need to be out of his grace that he's going to need to give again and again and again and again. That we're not going to get there on our own power. We're not going to get there with our own strength. But it's going to have to be this mine of grace that we pull our strength from. Pray with me if you would. Father, right now as we enter into a time of remembrance and communion together as a church family, I pray that we would just stop and think about your...